0: Um, I do so love this community, seeing um, Turkey Blitz this week in action being part of that has been so wonderful in between. So just to echo what Paul said, thank you. Your generosity really is extraordinary and i 'm excited about charity water and just all the things that you 're doing to bring the kingdom to earth uh, and i 'm glad to be with you today um, it 's going to be a good a good sunday i think i 've really been um, i don 't know I, I think the Holy Ghost makes a remarkable dj and so Preaching the lectionary, just here to deliver the mail, y'all. The gospel text in particular this week just seems so perfect in every conceivable regard. So there's a great tradition in the church of standing specifically for the readings of the gospel. So could we do that right now? And uh, I'll ask you to read this text with me from John chapter 18. Um, This is when Jesus is led before Pilate, beginning with verse 33. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world... Let's take a moment and pray now, Lord Jesus. This text reminds me of everything that I love and have always loved about you—the <laughs> uh, your inability to be pinned down, your way of always surprising us, your way of always rejecting the premise of the question and uh, telling us something else. Lord, this morning we are grateful that your kingdom is not of this world; it's not from this world. And yet it is made known in the world uh, through, through your church, through your people, uh, through the Eucharist that we celebrate today. We pray now that you would make yourself known in the proclamation of this message, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high, that in doing so, you would draw all people to yourself, uh, acknowledging once again, Lord, that this is not our message, not my message. We don't own any of it. We don't cling tightly to any of it. This truly is your church, your word, your people. And we, Lord, with delight, surrender and submit to your kingship now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. My kingdom, Jesus says, is not of this world. This is not a way of saying that the kingdom is otherworldly. Really can be best translated, my kingdom is not from this world. My kingdom does not originate from here. It's made known here. That's the... Prayer that we pray every time we gather, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is in the world. It's being made known in the world. It's not far off someplace, but it doesn't come from the world. It doesn't play by the world's rules. So when Pilate is quizzing Jesus, he says, if my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would be fighting you. If my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would be fighting to protect me from being delivered over. But that's not the way of the kingdom. They don't take Jesus away. They don't take his life. He offers it freely, he lays it down. His kingdom plays by very different rules from the kingdom of this world, which is why it's so common that Christians, under duress, under pressure, when we are faithful, tend to act in ways that are incredibly impractical and unpragmatic. There is nothing pragmatic or practical about the kingdom of God. If our kingdom were of the world, it would make sense to fire fire with, to fight fire with fire, rather. But since it's not, we respond in a different way. Since it's not, we don't fight the way the world fights. We don't respond the way the world responds. When the adrenaline is high and we're in the heat of the moment, we don't do what everybody else does. We respond in a way that's different, or at least that's the ideal. Uh, really, even thinking about this text, I couldn't help. After Jesus says this to Pilate, "My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would be fighting to to keep me from you." Of the text where Jesus is taken captive, because we know for just a for a minute, the disciples do fight, or at least one of them fights. It doesn't last very long. And I think maybe to unpack this a little further, we should go to that text as well. So, just one more scripture, if you don't mind, from Matthew's Gospel, verse twenty six. This is the moment. Where the fight does break out. Um, While Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him. At once he came up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you are here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly, one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, "'Put your sword back into its place, "'for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. "'Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father "'and he will at once send me more "'than twelve legions of angels? "'But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled?' Which say it must happen in this way. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this is taking place so the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. I've been thinking about this text all week long, about the temptation that we always have as the people of God to respond in the way that the world responds. Peter, in the heat of the moment, pulls out his sword. He does this because this is basically what he's been programmed to do. Keep in mind that Peter is a zealot, and a zealot is a kind of political party. These are the people who were convinced. Here's the basic agenda for the zealots. They believe that the reason Israel's in so much trouble, the reason they're under Roman occupation, is that they haven't practiced their religion purely enough. So therefore, ritual purity, therefore, honoring the Torah, and therefore, taking up arms against Rome as their oppressors and taking them down. Do whatever it takes to take these guys out. The reason that we're in this mess to begin with is because we've compromised too far. We've compromised moral integrity. These are the folks who are fighting for moral righteousness, So one of the things I love most about the disciples of Jesus, work with me here, is you have Peter called to be a disciple, who is a zealot, who still clearly has this in him. And at the same time, you have Matthew, who is a tax collector. Now we have on record that during the time of Jesus, it was a common thing, happened a few times every year, where to make a political point, zealots would kill tax collectors. Because tax collectors were considered the ultimate uh, sellouts. This is, can I say it this way? Kind of, They were considered the Uncle Toms of the Jewish world because it's like you have compromised with Rome. Who do you think you are? You're a sellout to your race, your religious heritage. Um, I mean, a, a, a tax collector is someone who is now cooperating with the Roman government to collect taxes from their own people and then they would steal some for themselves. So on a regular basis, you would have this happen to where tax collectors would be assassinated by zealots. Can you even imagine what it's like if you think it gets awkward at Thanksgiving at your house when people talk about politics? What happens when you have the zealot and the tax collector at the same table and they have nothing in common but Jesus? I'm convinced that well into following Jesus, these are still making for some very uncomfortable conversations. You know, what? I had a flashback this morning, by the way, I haven't thought about this for years. Where I brought my college girlfriend home for Thanksgiving down to see extended family. I don't know who's listening to podcasts. I'll be, I'll try to speak circumspectly. <laughs> and I have that great uncle, and you have that great uncle too, don't you? Y'all just never know what he's going to say. And I got my kind of sophisticated new college girlfriend, and sure enough, about midway through the Thanksgiving meal, he starts on his rant about the Mexicans, which would be so common. <laughs> and I'm horrified, I, I, I believed in the rapture, and I wanted to be raptured. I want to be taken out. I, I, you know, and it's this terrible thing, right, because I'm mortified by what he's saying, but I only see him once a year, so I don't come in and, like, set him straight the one time I see him. Like, it's just a horrifying scenario. By the way, I just had a prophetic vision. I really did. I just had a prophetic revelation. We have a lot of college students in this church, and I just believe I'm speaking prophetically into somebody's life right now. We have, we, have, we have some young man here and you, are, you come from good stock. You have parents who love God, they love Jesus. They are good folks. Salt of the earth people would, would give the shirt off their back for a stranger in a minute. But their entire culture can be summed up in two words, Cracker Barrel. Like Not just like the food, <laughs> but the store. Their house looks like the Cracker Barrel store. Their music sounds like the Cracker Barrel music. Like everything about, like that is the cultural scene. You've gone off to college and you met this girl who you think is pretty and sweet, but she's a little bit more progressive than you are because you're kind of moderate and middle of the road now. You're about to bring her home and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do if in the middle of the meal, your dad says, I tell you what, people don't like him, but Donald Trump's got a point about this wall. You're trying to think what you're going to do. I'm going to prophetically tell you what you should do. Pretend that you're choking. (laughs) Fall over in the chair onto the floor. Grab your throat. Like pretend you're choking on the turkey. And when someone comes over to help and you start coughing, (coughs) you come up and you say, (coughs) man, how about those thunder? Start talking about the thunder. Talk about how things are going under Billy Donovan's offense. Talk about Russell Westbrook's last triple-double. Talk about what a crime it is to pay Ennis Caner $70 million to come off the bench. Just start talking about the thunder. It'll distract them. This, I just really felt like that was a prophetic word. You can discern this for yourself. I'm just trying to be helpful. <laughs> I didn't do that in the first service. <laughs> we it we we all have we all have those moments and i think what what kind of pulls on my heart though is that you know peter it, he has such a good heart he loves jesus he wants to do the right thing you know even the, the the zealot thing is still in him and in this moment when they're coming after jesus with swords and clubs he really thinks that he's helping jesus to take out his sword and to hack somebody's ear off. He thinks he's doing the right thing. He loves Jesus. But, you know, the thing that I think is so profound about this and interesting and a little bit comic is that, yes, he takes somebody's ear off in one verse. But I love how just a couple verses later that it says, all the disciples fled, which tells a lot about where Peter's frame of mind really was. Yes, because of kind of his programming, he takes out the sword and he's like, let's go to war. But ultimately, it's, he's not really so much motivated by trying to protect Jesus as he is. He's afraid. He's scared. And he has reason to be afraid. Like, there's not an optimistic way to read the Roman government here. You know, Jesus never says to disciples, hey, don't be afraid. The Romans are actually great guys. They'd never do anything to hurt you. You've got the wrong idea about them. No, they're about to torture and crucify Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is not going to say, don't worry about these Jewish folks who are out to get you. They, they really, you're the folks within your own religion who now see you as some kind of a traitor or sellout. No, they're really your friends. They don't intend you harm. Oh, no, they intend plenty of harm, right? Peter is afraid. They're afraid. And so often I think what happens in moments where there's a lot of fear, panic in the air, where there's, there's a sense of threat, is that we act out of our fear, we act in aggression, which is often just a way of manifesting our fear. That's the thing I think people often miss about Jesus. There's nothing more courageous or bold than handing yourself over. That, that's the truly courageous thing. Jesus, even knowing the ill intent that they have for him, th- this is how his kingdom works, is that when his life is threatened, he lays it down. No one takes it, he lays it down. Now we are called to be followers of that Jesus, not just to believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, though I do believe that, but the same one who died on the cross for us says, take up your cross and follow me. So let me say it in my uh, Yoda way. The cross isn't just for you. The cross is for you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Not just that Jesus died on, on your behalf. He says, now take up your cross. The cross is for us in that way. In other words, we bring the kingdom into the world the same way that Jesus did because the cross is the way of the kingdom. Do you hear what I'm saying? The cross is the way of the kingdom. Self-sacrifice is the way of the kingdom. To look the enemy eyeball to eyeball and to refuse to self-protect is the way of the kingdom. To not fight fire with fire is the way of the kingdom. This is not a mere footnote in history. That's how Jesus did it then, Praise God that he did that and got that out of the way so now that we can take up the sword on his behalf. That's not what we're called to do. That's just not what the church is called to do. I have to hear this as much as anybody else does because I'm just, I don't know. I just, I feel like I talk about Jesus and kingdom stuff so often and because if I do say so myself, I am really kind of a nice person. Those of you who know me personally, is that fair to say? I'm a nice person. I'm a nice person. I love kittens and old ladies and... Sweet things, puppies, I don't know. I don't really love kittens, tell the truth, but I am a nice person. I am a nice person. But that doesn't make any of this easier for me. It really doesn't. I have the same, like, in moments when I feel afraid, when I feel threatened, when I feel like somebody's talking about me, when I feel like somebody's attacking me, that's that's the thing that always makes a difference, right? I can be the most compassionate person in the world until I feel threatened personally or until I feel insulted Personally. And no matter how humble, bumble, Clark Kent, I act the rest of the time, if I feel slighted by somebody, oh, my goodness, who do you think you are? Do you have any idea who you're talking to? Then all of a sudden I have this chip. I'm a theologian, <laughs> pastor, writer, person. You, you, I just this sense of how, how dare you. I can get that way on the road. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. By the way, I, just, I haven't vented about this since I've been in Tulsa only place in the world where the left lane means nothing am i telling the truth in tulsa oklahoma the left lane means nothing my rule of thumb in life is whatever i pulled up on a gps i could beat it i could shave that time off by 8 minutes not in tulsa where you can't be, n- nobody passes ever and i know i am i'm that person i'm the aggressive driver who still has a north carolina plate who will pass you on the right if I can, normally you can't. That's just this is how Tulsa is. But in traffic, I'm sorry, I don't, know, I don't know if the Lord's in that. I'm just saying that <laughs> if I get cut off, then all of a sudden I'm beside myself and just like, oh, it's, it's, it's terrible, the things that will grip me in that way. I'm just, I'm just a normal guy in that regard. I, you know, I, um, I do travel some, preaching and that kind of thing, and I try so hard to be gentle and all those kinds of things, but I don't know what it is. Every time I've ever lost my temper in my life has been in an airport. That's the truth. An airport is where I just lose it, especially now. If you do fly, you know that we're kind of herded like cattle. I remember a moment a few months ago. I, I try to be really gentle, but I was coming in off a really long flight, and there was a layover, and there had already been problems, and I'm Jonah. You never want to travel with me. Like, everything bad that could happen could happen. And there was just this moment. I'm the person who, by the way, will never send back a steak. I would eat it raw. I order it medium well. You serve it raw. I will eat it just because I don't want to offend someone or have anybody pee on the steak, frankly. <laughs> I'm very, like, <laughs> I'm just kind of, <laughs> I, I defer. Like, I just don't want any trouble. That's my personality. I just don't want any trouble. <laughs> Can we edit these things for the podcast if need be? Um I just, I just take it easy. But the the lady, there was some kind of an issue with the flight. I tried to show her this number that I thought would be helpful. And it was stapled to a couple sheets that were on that. And, and there was a folder behind that. And so I handed it to her. And she said super smug to me. she's like, I don't need the whole folder. I'd already been traveling all day. And I don't know what came over me. But like I'm a big person. I, this is really true. i put my elbows on the desk and I leaned all the way across the desk. I leaned in as close as I could. And I said, is it harder for you to read the sheet with the folder behind it? Is this more difficult for you? And it was really true story. And it was funny because then, like, I mean, I was all intimidating. She immediately backed her. Oh no, I didn't mean all that. Sorry, it was I was just over it. I just said like, so the point of this is that I respond to these things like anybody else does. I have the same stuff in me. I have the same instinct to want to pull out the sword. I feel like that's why I end up talking about kingdom peace and peacemaking so much, is I'm trying to deal with my own inner violence. You mean you're just trying to work out your issues? Aren't we all? Like I have to preach these things to myself. I have to be reminded of these texts over and over again because I'm not wired to do anything other than take out the sword. There's a weird part of me that likes a good fight. There's a part of me that wants to brawl sometimes for no even coherent reason. And it's like anybody else. I love to be the righteous one. I love to be the right one. Amen. Don't you like that? I love to be right. Some of you heard me say that before. There's no drug that will get you as high as being right. It's better than heroin, y'all. I'm telling you. Not that that I've actually had heroin. (laughs) So I'm told. (laughs) I just, it's exhilarating to be the one who's on the side of right and righteousness, but I feel like, like Peter, oftentimes when I act out the strongest, it really, truth be told, it's when I'm the most afraid. What's happening here? What's going on? Is somebody going to take something that belongs to me? Is somebody going to threaten my way of life? Is somebody going to take my Jesus, my freedom, my whatever? And the inclination in that moment is to want to hunker down and fight and to feel like we're doing it in the name of Jesus. One of the things I have to be reminded over and over again is that Jesus does not need me to stand up for him. Hear what I'm saying? Jesus does not need you to stand up for him. He's already risen from the dead. He's going to be fine. And even when we was under threat, right? That's just not the way that Jesus did things. I feel like the Lord gave me this a few years ago and it stuck. I end up talking about it all the time that my instinct was always to kind of stand up for Jesus. I really feel like the Lord dealt with me one time that he wasn't calling me to stand for him, not to stand up for him, but to stand with him. And how, what, how different that looked. You stand up for Jesus when you think Jesus is under threat and he needs you to protect him. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus doesn't need our protection. There are people standing on the margins who do need our protection, There are people suffering and hurt and vulnerable. Those are the people that Jesus is always standing with. So I think Jesus would say to us, if you want to show that you love me, don't stand up for me. Stand with me for those who actually are in danger. Stand with me for those who actually don't have a voice. Stand with me for those who are being pushed aside in some way. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't stand up for Jesus. Stand up with Jesus. Jesus is not in danger. He's not in trouble. So he doesn't need me to fight for him. He doesn't need me to defend. He certainly doesn't need me to defend myself or my own interest. And I think that's the hardest part because it's so instinctive. It's so normal. It's so human to want to, to, to self-protect in some way. I tell you what, for anybody who's ever had your heart broken, isn't that the instinct, right, is that when your heart gets broken in some way, you, you don't want to love anybody ever because you don't want the risk that goes along with it. The trouble is love always involves risk, not just romantic relationships, in any relationship. It involves risk. Putting, letting down your guard just a little bit means that the real you might actually get rejected. And at some point probably will. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> it just keeps happening over and over. You know how many times I've heard people at Sanctuary tell stories about you know uh, some hurt they experience in another church and how this has been a refuge for them. I wanna say more about that at the end. That's a wonderful thing, but I promise you, if you stay here long enough, you'll get hurt here too. <laughs> Everybody likes me till they get to know me and then it becomes like, oh, I thought you were great from your sermons. I'm not great all the time. Th- you know, this is what happens. You live life together with anybody for any amount of time. The veneer wears off. Am I telling the truth? You will get disappointed and hurt because we are still people. We are just people like anybody else. So you're, you're, you're guaranteed to get hurt. That, that's the thing that I think I'm seeing differently now is that before, I've believed these kind of ideas about Jesus for a long time. But my motivation in preaching them would be like, we need to be kingdom people about peace and justice and this is just the right way to live. I do think it's the right way to live. I still believe that, but here's what I'm coming to see. I think a lot of the reason why Jesus tells us to put away the sword and not fight fire with fire, not get caught up in the panic and violence of the world. You know, Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. And it feels like right now fear and panic is in the air, doesn't it? I mean, you don't have to even do anything. You just breathe it. You just breathe. And it coats your lungs. There's something very spiritual about all that. My point is, I'm sorry, I'm saying a lot of things but I just find that so often, like I, before, where I thought it was a matter of doing the right thing to not go the way of the sword, the way of the cross, etc. Now what I'm realizing is that that business of you know Jesus says to, if you live by the sword you'll die by the sword. We just read that. It just simply doesn't work. That's another reason to live this way rather than that way because it doesn't work. Because when we try to live in a way where we're trying to protect ourselves, protect our interests, protect our own, it it just very rarely works. I don't mean to be morbid, and I certainly want to walk softly to not, like, um, be upsetting for anybody in your own tragedies, but just as a general rule, just tell me if I, let me know if I'm telling the truth later, not necessarily now. (laughs) You know that thing of, like, when someone attempts to, like, be really, really healthy and, like, no, no, no carbs, no sugars, everything's soy and awesome and vitamins, and they're like super, super healthy, do everything they can, right? When I'm not saying that's, that, that, that's wrong or not a good thing to do, but doesn't it seem inevitable that if you do that, that person's going to get in a car wreck at 50. It's just the way things go. Or you can be a super cautious driver, and it just flips. It's, it, it, it never makes sense to me we all have a grandmother or a great-grandmother somewhere who ate bacon every day, smoked like a chimney, and lived to be 104, right? <laughs> is, 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 am I telling the truth? It makes no sense. Moving here, I, the th- I was a little bit nervous about the tornadoes because I hadn't been here. And then I start, I read this news article about how more people have died from like your cellar or whatever being flooded than from the tornadoes. And I'm like, That's jacked up right there. (laughs) So you get down, you hide, you try to be responsible, and then people, you're more likely to die from drowning? That's ridiculous. But it is like that. I am, I'm not, I don't mean to be like overly optimistic. I believe terrible things happen and will happen. I'm not just trying to look on the sunny side. I think it could be like The Walking Dead and before it's all said and done, a virus gets out there, people start turning into zombies. Then you do go down your cellar and some of you have already stockpiled green beans and weapons, and here's, <laughs> and here's what's gonna happen, I'm telling you. The zombies won't get you. You're gonna get a hangnail that's gonna get infected, turn to gangrene. And within 48 hours, you turn blue. And next thing you know, you're dead. Not because the zombies got you. You were prepared for that. But not for the random infection. Because that's just how life works. There is so much chaos out there. It is so unpredictable. And I think because of this, there's such a freedom in becoming the kind of person who just lets go. Not clinging on to the sword for dear life, white-knuckled because you can't really protect yourself ultimately anyway. It will only go so far. Living open-handed, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, for, for some, Somebody's gonna be smart. Somebody's gonna be smart to me later on. I'm just saying. Somebody's gonna be real smart and say, so you think I should just jump off of a mountain? Yes, I think you should jump off a mountain. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> no, I'm not saying. <laughs> like, Embrace as much danger as possible. I'm not saying live in a way that cheats death. Do you hear what I mean? Within reason, there's only so much you're gonna be able to do to control your own life and destiny. In the meantime, you'll be a lot happier, healthier, the world will be a better place if you don't cling too tightly. And you live in the spirit of the kingdom, you live in the way of the kingdom. What what happens for me, I'm convinced it happens for all of us, is when we are feeling threatened, when we are feeling angry, when the adrenaline is running and all that, and we, have the, and when we become about self-protection, inevitably, we, we end up missing the people around us who are in dire need of our help. That, that need, that desire that we have to try to protect what belongs to us means that our eyes really aren't open to the world around us anymore. So instead of going the way of Jesus, where we're laying down our own lives for the sake of somebody else, we're, we, you know, we, we become we become too distracted. That's why we, we just get too distracted. Monday um, we had staff meeting and we having a, it was a good meeting. You know, I was leading the meeting. We're having a wonderful conversation. Been going on for about an hour, and a lady knocked on the door. And I don't know. It was this, we, we all laughed about this after the fact because. We just moved offices and we sold the old office furniture on Craigslist for a little bit of money, and we, that was just brought to us. So we had 20s spread out all over the table. We got like a pile of 20s. And uh, I think Cody got up, opened the door, lets the lady in. Ladies basically came in asking for prayer. We invited her to sit at the table. I could feel it. We all, like, we sat down and we're all like, oh my gosh, we got 20s spread out all over the table. <laughs> this is not good. But we just began to just, just talk. The lady just kind of interrupted the meeting and just talked. And this lady began to share her story. I do not think that would be sharing anything too personal. Her name was Jane, whoever Jane is, leaving the West Coast. Uh, she's a believer, used to be in full-time ministry. Some terrible things have happened in her life. Doesn't feel like she's got anywhere to go. Kind of stranded in Tulsa for a few days. And she's, this is what she said. She said, I was driving past this church, and I saw the name on the sign, Sanctuary. And she said, I started weeping as soon as I read the name thinking maybe this is a safe space. Maybe this is a place where there could just be a refuge. Is there any way you guys could just pray for me? Didn't ask for money, just wanted prayer. And so we just sat with Jane, we talked, we prayed for her. I really felt the Holy Spirit was giving us some things for her. We talked, we gave her more information to follow up with anybody if she she does need that. And It was just, I don't know, it just struck me as such a... Such a metaphor for how my life works most of the time is that I'm just always caught up in something, some kind of kingdom business, some kind of kingdom enterprise. And, and, and you know, we're we're here doing the business of the church, planning events and activities, logistics, right? Service order, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and here's a hurting person who needs prayer. Here's the whole reason why we do this. It's because of Jane. Like, this is the reason we exist. This is the reason that we're here. I have to be reminded of that over and over. I just feel like that's so true in your life right now, that while we get so caught up in the spirit of the age and all the back and forth and all the push and pull and all the ideological whatever, whatever, there are real people around us who are in pain. And being face-to-face with them, being one-on-one with them, changes everything. It always changes your perspective, it's what I love about the Turkey Blitz, opportunity just to be with people for a few moments, one-on-one. So they're particular places, particular faces. That's what I was talking about last week with all the Middle East stuff. Between the last two services, a man in our church came to me who I had not met, a medical doctor who just got back from a trip to Baghdad as a missionary, kind of a medical missions trip, and this is what he told me. He said, the reason I felt like God called me to go on this trip is because I'm so afraid of that part of the world and everything happening in it. It's why I feel like Jesus told me to go. It's because I'm so afraid. And how much it changed just to be eyeball to eyeball, face to face. I was so moved by that. Because to me, that's just that's how the kingdom always works. It's not about ideas, it's not about policies, it's not about philosophies. Like the disciples, we've got zealots up in here and tax collectors up in here. And the moment you do start talking about anything other than the weather and the news, God only knows what's really going to happen which is why I I love my job, right? And I'm just stirring things up, see what happens, mix things up in the lab, see what blows up, it's fun. But really, like all kinds of philosophies, policies, perspectives, worldview, but then we come together, and we're reminded that we are the people of God, we're the church of Jesus Christ, we're called to bring the kingdom of God to bear in the world, we're, we, we bear witness to another kingdom, and somehow these people from all these divergent perspectives and places are somehow united in their love for Jesus. And as we begin to love on his behalf, touch on his behalf, care on his behalf, God uses us to change the world. Doesn't mean terrible things won't happen. They probably will. My favorite quote of Frederick Bigner's This is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Stand with me. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary, or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time Have a great week.